I'm going to bring a series of messages, a short series of messages on a very timely subject. I don't, wouldn't choose this subject except that the Bible teaching on marriage and gender and sexuality and morality has just taken a broadside hit from our government, from our federal government and from academia uh, and from the media. And it's the responsibility of the man of God to biblically define things. And if the man of God doesn't biblically define them, nobody else will. Who else will? Who else will? And so I'm going to be doing what should be done by every pastor in the country, and if every pastor in the country that professes to believe the Bible would do this, there would be a different, there would be a change in the moral climate. I'm not here, and I want you to understand this. The business of the church is not to assault and attack sinners. Did you hear me? The problem is that we are all in that classification without exception. Remember Jesus said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. How many cast the stone? Not one. So we're not about throwing stones today. We are about giving biblical definition that God gives us in his word. Now I hope along with that, I'm going to give you a tremendous amount of hope there is one word that occurs in this text, and I will point this out in a little, a little bit. But there's one word in this text that I'm going to read that tells, you, that tells you that God is interested in changing people's lives from the inside out, from the bottom up. I gave the introduction to this message a couple of weeks ago, and you will remember, and I will go there today. I have been reading in the Prophets. Now, Paul deals, in Romans, he deals with basically two classifications of people. He deals with the classification of people who do not know God. They're pagans. But he deals with the religious people. Are you ready for this? Religion can do as much damage to society as paganism does, if it's not a biblical religion. Did you hear that? And Paul deals with both. The pagans deny God's righteousness and the religious people substitute a religious righteousness for God's righteousness. And neither one of those things will work. They just will not work. We all strive to have a goodness of our own that will recommend itself to God. Even as Christians, we make that mistake. We think if I have a good day, I have free access to God. If I have a bad day, I'm, I don't have free access to God. That's, that's, that's really not true. My access to God is always based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If I have a bad day, that doesn't change. If I have a good day, that doesn't change either. It doesn't prove anything whether you have a good day or a bad day. It proves that Jesus Christ is your righteousness, and if you have him, you have free access to God. So, as a sinner, as a sinner, it, it doesn't prove whether you're religious or non-religious. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. It just does not. The whole issue is, did the work of Jesus Christ on the cross atone for your sins? 
I love that verse out of Corinthians. If one died, then all were dead. Jesus died, so everybody potentially does not have to bear judgment for his sins. I go to Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 7. It's appointed unto man once to die after this, the judgment. And then the next statement it says is this. Christ was once offered for sin. So... I die once, there's one time I face the judgment, and it's only one death of Jesus Christ that was necessary on the cross. I die once, he died once for me. I'll be judged once, he bore my judgment once. Okay? That's the argument of the writer of the book of Hebrews. So, don't take out of context what I'm going to give you today, but it should, it should, be, it should be a point, I hope... Um, w- One of the interesting things, let me make one more observation here before we read the text. It is amazing to me how enamored Christians become with the culture in which they live. I had the opportunity of speaking to the student body at Faith Baptist Bible College, uh, two or three years ago now it was, and, and I spoke to a group of young people whose hearts and minds, if you'll get this, whose hearts and minds have been captured by the technology of the day. I don't have my cell phone or I'd I'd hold it up to you and I'd say, boy, the average young person thinks that this cell phone is God. In fact, it's not. I I press my Google button and I say, now how many people in California have the COVID? And it'll tell me. It's amazing what that phone will do. But every cell in your body, every cell in your body has a DNA molecule in it. Every cell in your body has a DNA molecule in it. And every DNA molecule has 50, or has, has, has 20 billion bits of information in it. Your cell phone is Stone Age. It's Stone Age. It, just take, take a DNA molecule and your cell phone's Stone Age stuff. And and then then you talk about the memory capacity in your cell phone, and you can get it up to so many megabytes now; it's terabytes. And and you you, but but your brain again. I want to remind you: the human brain, every human brain, has more computing capacity than all the supercomputers in the world put together. One human brain. So technology is Stone Age. We need to get back to God. We need to get back to God. God is the, he's, he's our creator, and we're going to emphasize this. When we get through this text, please, as we read through it, I'm going to try to dissect this thing that will be very helpful to your understanding. So read along with an open mind, and let's see where we go. Now, this, this is what I call an expanded translation. It's like a paraphrase of Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 32. I want you to notice in the first verse, I want you to notice two words, two words in the first verse that are bold and underlined. What are they? God's power. I want you to notice those two words because that's one of the keys to this passage. That's one of the keys to this passage, okay? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is what? God's power resulting in a what? Divine rescue from sin in the case of everyone who is what? Believing both to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now we're going to read the next text all in the light of that one verse, all right? 
Because God's rightness, now we use the word righteousness, but it's the fact that God is right. He's right in his person. He's right in his character. He is right in his thoughts. He is right in his deeds. God is always right. All right? So he says God's rightness is revealed in it, originating in what? Faith and producing additional what? Faith, just like it has been written. But the righteous man shall live on the basis of faith. Because the outrage of God is opened up to full view from heaven upon all irreverence, that means disrespect or profaneness, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. They push down the truth or resist the truth in acts of unrighteousness because that which is well known about God is made clear and plain, what's the next word? Within themselves, because God has personally made it known in detail to them. Because from the time of, now what's the next word? Creation. Now who created everything? God did, okay? From the time of creation of the cosmos, that word cosmos, orderly arrangement, God's not seen attributes, both his eternal power and his standing as God, are being both intellectually grasped and clearly seen through that which he has made. The result? They are without excuse. They are indefensible. Because even though they knew God, they did not do what? Honor him as the God he is. Nor did they feel any obligation toward him at all. In contradistinction contradistinction to this, they rather were given over to futility and worthlessness in their what? Intellectual reasoning and their clueless heart was cast under a pall of darkness. Boasting themselves to be wise, they became, the King James says, fools. It's the Greek word for morons. And they rejected the glory of the immortal God and chose rather for themselves an image in the former icon of mortal corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and reptiles. For this reason, God delivered them over. Immersed as they were in sinful passions of their hearts, into the what? What's the next word? Power. power. Now notice verse 1, God's power. This, now we see about the power of moral corruption. With the result that they degraded and abused their physical bodies among themselves and their peers. These people rejected the truth of God and chose rather for themselves the lie, that is the deception, and both treated as sacred and served as sacred that which was created rather than who? The creator who made it all who is blessed forever. Amen. For this, specifically for this reason, God delivered them over, and notice the word power again, to the power of degrading passions for those of them who were a female gender, rejected the national, natural created sexual function, chose rather for themselves that which is contrary to the natural created function, and therefore unnatural. And in the very same way, the males abandoned the naturally created sexual function of female and were inflamed in their lustful passion, directed into one another, male in male, performing deformed, shameful, indecent acts in their own persons, receiving back into themselves in return the morally necessary and inevitable penalty of their moral straying. And just in the same way as they made a calculated decision not to be having God, as an integral part of their body of knowledge and thinking, God delivered them over, notice again the word power, into the power of a depraved, that is a morally corrupted mind, to be doing those things that ought not to be done, being filled up full 
with all unrighteousness, aggressive wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanderers, God-haters, contemptuous, haughty, boasters, strategists of evil, not trusting in their parents, void of understanding, not to be trusted, heartless, without compassion. And although they know full well, that is, they have a complete and accurate knowledge of something, of the standard of God's rightness, which clearly states that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Not only are they doing these same things, but beyond this, they're giving hearty approval to they are applauding those who practice these things in their lives. Now, he starts out with the power of the gospel. Nobody, apart from the power of the gospel, is going to end up in the right place. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your personal experience is. Nobody's going to end up in the right place who, who does not, who does not find it in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It will not happen. God's power is what makes the difference. And it is indeed power and powerful. You'll notice the highlighted yellow highlight here. And then follow me now, just, just with an open mind, please follow me as we go through some of these things, because I think you'll find this very, very helpful. The most fearful of all of God's judgments is that he would abandon us to our own devices. May I say the most fearful thing as a pastor I see Christians doing. I'm talking about believers. The most fearful thing I see believers doing is stubbornly refusing to hear God's voice and God's word in their lives. Living in willful disobedience. And there are hundreds of different issues you can face along this line. If I were to be afraid of anything happening in my life, it was be God let me, abandon me to my own natural, ugly self, my inner feelings. If God let go what was inside of me, the number of lives that would be destroyed is unbelievable. The greatest enemy I have in my life is my own personal passions. Whether I'm an unbeliever, it's the true. If I'm a believer, it's true. All of us have passions within us that are extremely destructive. We can put mayonnaise on them and cake frosting and cherries and nuts. And we can rationalize. But the inner passions that swell up within us, all of us, All of us without exception. There's not a person in this room to whom I'm not talking. Including the one that's talking. For God to abandon us to our own passions would be the most fearful judgment he could visit upon any of us. And that's the wonderful thing of being a Christian and having the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who restrains these passions and he works in our hearts And he encourages us and he makes us strong in the Lord. We have that as believers. That's a treasure we have. Those who are not believers do not have that treasure. And if I were left to myself without this, just just, just in the past weeks, I've had inner battles in my life spiritually going on. I've had inner battles going on and had God not been at my side, it would have been an awful scene. It would have been an awful scene. And I've got a sneaking suspicion you live at the same address. So 
The most fearful of all God's judgments is that he would abandon us to our own devices. And I have watched people, I've watched believers, young and old, who have chosen to live in disobedience. And God has said, all right, you want it, you'll have it. And you sow to the wind and you reap to the whirlwind. It's important. It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or pagan or Christian. It doesn't matter who and what you are. Listening to the voice of God, obeying the word of God, is the only thing that's going to get you out of trouble and keep you out of trouble. Now, notice at the bottom of the first page, there are three issues very clearly defined and addressed in Romans chapter 1, in this text that we've looked at. The first issue is, who in the world is this God? Who is this God? And what right does he have to give definition to who I am and what I ought to be doing with my life? And those are legitimate questions. Who is this God? By the way, I read about him last night in Isaiah 40. He's the one who sits enthroned on the vault of the earth. And the most amazing thing to me, it's about Christmas, it's about Easter, the most amazing thing to me is that there is a God who is so vast and so great that, that time and space are his invention. Time and space don't, don't, don't exist without him, so he's above time, he's above space, he's not limited by either of these. And this great God, created, created by the word of his mouth, the entire universe. He set everything in motion. I read in Isaiah 40, and the last I read, the count, they brought the count down to about two to three trillion galaxies. Two to three trillion galaxies. Now, a God that can create two or three trillion galaxies ought to know a little bit about what's going on. He ought to know a little bit about what creation is all about. And he ought to know what human life is all about. Believers, why don't we trust him? Why don't we trust his wisdom? Why don't we? God is uniquely uncreated. Everything else that exists is the product of his creative activity. Now, if the Bible's true, this is true. This is true. So who is this God? Who is this God? And then, on the top of page two, there's the idea of creation and the created order. That is what God did and why he did it. Notice the notes here. Now, listen, I am speaking to, I'm speaking here in in a church of believers for the most part. We have believers all over America who do not believe that God created the world, that it's the product of evolution. We have professors in seminaries that don't believe that God created, that, that everything is a product of evolution. And listen, if it's the product of evolution, nobody knows what it really means, and nobody knows really what it is. 
Notice the statement underneath here, and this is so important. Listen, we are living in the world. We are believers. The world touches our lives. Events touch our lives. We need to trust God for a whole lot in our lives, and we're not able unless we know who God is. Notice everything. Notice the note. Everything without exception in all of creation originated in the heart and mind of God. Now, I want you to think that through. Everything without exception in all of creation originated in the heart and mind of God. In Ephesians 1, you awake yet? You're sleeping? You're napping? You're dreaming? Hope you're not having a nightmare? My name is David Charles Innes. That's the name my parents gave to me. Before, according to Ephesians chapter 1, before the world existed at all, period, before there was one star, before there was one galaxy, before there was a world, God knew me by name before anything existed. Let that sink in. What is your name? Say it to yourself. My name is, before the world existed, before the galaxies existed, before there was a star or a moon or an asteroid, God knew me by name. Now, if God's word is true, the significance of human life, And if there is no God, the significance of human life does this. Your life has no meaning if it did not originate in the heart and mind of God. If it does, you can't figure out what it is. You have no way to know. And this text we read talks about the created order. Why does it talk about a created order? Cosmos means order, arrangement. It means because all of this happened, originated in the heart and the mind of God. So may I ask you a question? You awake? Excuse me for yelling at you like that. Okay. I have a question for you. Who is it then that determines who you are, what you are, and why you are in existence? Chance or God? Where'd you get your life? You are not the result of a biological accident between your mother and father. No way. No way. Who then? Who then? Who is the only one? If this is true, who is the only one that can define who and what you are? Who is the only one that can define the meaning of humanity and the meaning of life and the meaning of history? Now Hebrews makes it very, very clear. God not only created the cosmos, which is the mechanical universe out there, God created the ages. That's the software that runs the hardware. 
the ages. That's the history. That's, that's what happens to you and me in historical time framework. God outfitted the ages. And by faith we grasp the fact that our life is not an accident. It is lived from beginning to end in the providence of an almighty God who created us. It begins with creation. So look at page two at that paragraph. Let's read it through now. Everything without exception in all of creation originated in the heart and mind of God and was brought into existence by the word of God. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Therefore, and underline this next sentence. If if the first sentence is true, then the second is enormously important for every one of us here today. Divine purpose and divine design are the foundation for all existence, period. Now, whether it's in the evangelical churches, whether it's in the government, whether it's in the media, we are trying to redefine the design and purpose of God's creation and make it something else. And that's why in Romans 1 it says the outrage of God. If you created this universe and somebody said you were a fool and didn't know what you were doing and we're going to use your creation for some other purpose, how would that make you feel? God does not find this acceptable. Divine purpose and divine design are the foundation for all existence, period. Oh boy, I wish I could get on. We've got the third point here. Man's respond to God in his created order. And you will notice in the green font on that text in the first page, you'll notice the, that which is in the green font, boasting themselves to be wise. Verse 22, they became morons. They chose, they made a choice rather for themselves an image in the form of mortal corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals. You go on down to verse 25. These people rejected the truth of God, chose for themselves rather the lie. And, uh, and verse 25, they rejected the truth of God and treated as sacred and served as sacred that which was created rather than the creator. And then going on down, In verse 26, they rejected the natural created order. Two lines down farther, they abandoned the natural created order. Verse 28, they made a calculated decision not to be having God as an integral part of their body of knowledge and thinking. Now, if you do that, nothing that's taking place today in the church or in politics, nothing is surprising. Nothing is surprising. Because if you have no created order, every person chooses his own definition. This is going on in the academic institutions, elementary schools. Children are being told they need to to choose their own gender. They need to make a choice as to what gender they want to be. That's what they're being told. So everybody is to himself. That's not surprising. Because you take God out, 
And what I want to do is okay. I'd like to kill some people. How can you tell me that's wrong? You have nothing. If you have no God, then I become my own God. And you become your own God. That's where this all goes. So the real problem is not where you end up. The problem is the process that gets you there. And let's begin this. Let's begin with point number three on page two. Let's begin there. The Apostle Paul says, Beware, watch out, see to it. How many of you, with freedom, will walk up to a house and open the gate when you see the sign on the gate that says, Beware of the dog? How many of you take pause when you see that? If you don't see it, you just look around. If you don't hear anything, you just open the gate and you go in. But I will promise you, if you see that, you don't know whether it's one of these man-eaters about this high and about this long. You don't know if it's one of those or if it's one of these Rhodesian Ridgebacks. When they bark, the whole house shakes. You don't know what you're looking at. Paul said, beware. And notice the New American Standard, the second, the second text there. See to it that no one takes you captive. What he's saying is, this can happen to you through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, that is the cultural norms, rather than according to Christ. Because in Christ... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. You have been filled up full. Listen, I can tell you today, and I can promise you, that if you will listen to God and you'll receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, no matter what state you are in when you do that, an empty life will become totally filled up. And we'll get there can't get there today. But we're going to go some places with this message. I hope you'll follow through. Because one thing leads to another. I'll tell you a story. It's a silly story. But it's a story about uh, and a couple lived, lived out in the, in the mountains of Arkansas back in the 1940s. And that was when they didn't have television yet. They're just coming on the market. Has anybody here seen one of the first televisions? Little screen about like this. That was the first television. And they didn't have cable. You had to connect to an antenna. That's the only way you could get a signal to make your television work. So they're gone into town. The, the man went into town one day and he saw this television. He didn't know what it was, so he called it a picture box. And he came home to his wife and he just insisted, I've got that. I saw this fascinating, this wonderful thing. He said, it's just tremendous. It's the latest technology. I want, a, I want one of those picture boxes. And his wife said, no way. You know how it is with you? One thing always leads to another. 
you get that picture box and there's going to be one thing after another, after another, after another. And I'm, no, no, no. Back and forth they argued for a whole week and on his word of honor. He went into town and bought the picture box. Came on home. The man came out to install it and said, now where do you want to put the antenna? Well, they said, where do you usually put the antenna? Well, you usually put it up on the roof. I mean, she went into orbit. She exploded. She said, I told you one time, I've told you a thousand times, one thing always leads to another. Now we've got to put a roof on the house. So come back next Sunday, we've got to put a roof on the house. But you see, there's a process that goes, why are you where you are as an individual? Wherever you are, I don't care where you are, why are you where you are as an individual? You are there because of a process of thinking. And Paul said, you've got to be careful because every process of thinking is not equally good. You've got to beware about these things. And we'll take on their next Lord's Day. I want to help you. Now, there are Christians. This, 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 this message is for everybody. How we deal with the truth that God reveals to us as individuals will make an enormous difference of the path we are going to walk in the future. Somebody said that discernment is the ability. Get this, please. Discernment is the ability to see the long-term consequences of a present course of action. And they all have consequences. Some of you wonder, why am I, and believers, let me, let me tell you this. A lot of these sins don't go away that we pray about because we don't get down to the roots They began somewhere and we don't find the root and then we kind of try to kill the tree by clipping off the leaves. Doesn't work that way. You go to the root, then you don't get the fruit. And I want to help all of us in our thinking, spiritually, whether we're saved or unsaved, no matter what the battle is in our life, I want to see how we can get to the root of these things so that we can cut off the fruit that we don't like in our lives. God is a good God. He's a great God. And he did create everything. Everything without exception in all of creation originated where? Where did it originate? In the heart and mind of God. Where did you originate? Where did you personally originate? You personally originated in the heart and mind of God. That's a profound statement. Take that home with you. Take that home with you. We all originated in the heart and in the mind of God. And he is the one who knows the purpose for our existence. He knows the reason why we are here. He designated our parentage regardless of what it is. He designated the time and the age in which we live. He, 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 as, he as 
ordered the circumstances in which we were brought up. Some of us were saved at an early age, some at a later age. But the hand of God is written all over our lives. If we'll look carefully, it's there. God's a good God. God's a great God. And how do we know any of this? How do we know all of this? We know any of this, and we know all of this, because of his wonderful word. It's the word of God that teaches us who we are. What is our role in society? What is our role in the family? What is our role in the workaday world? Why are we here? What is our ministry? I had a delightful time. I could talk on and on. I've got to quit talking. But I want to tell you, it's wonderful to be a Christian. And may I say that, 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 that you do not be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of God's will. Because God's will is completely in line with and compatible with your person and your personality and your gifts. And you are happiest when you're using your personality and gifts. Whatever they are, the calling of God has to do with what he made you in the first place. How he put you together as an individual. And not a one of us here is alike. All of us totally different. Totally different. Somebody says, I understand you. No, you don't. I don't even understand myself. So may God encourage our hearts today. Everyone here is here by divine plan and divine purpose. 